Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of At The Table. This is Jackie King, and I am so excited to have another conversation about women and ministry and leadership all across the SBC. I think today's episode is going to be so helpful. I'm so excited to get into it because I think it's going to be practical information. I think it's going to be something that a lot of us are struggling with. We're really tackling the topic of just mental health and leadership and kids and just everything that is really kind of being exposed in this COVID pandemic. And to do that, I get to introduce you to my new friend, Sarah Rayner. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Yeah. Why don't you tell us where you're recording from and maybe even just some fun little get to know you things. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, first you have to know I'm an extreme extrovert, so you may have to cut me off talking at times. Uh, <laughs> you're in good be, company. <laughs> we might be on here for a couple hours, So, um, but I live in North Carolina, just uh, right outside of Raleigh. And uh, we live here. My husband works at Southeastern Seminary. I've been uh, a believer since I was 18, and I came to know the Lord actually in my sorority house at the University of Kentucky. Okay. And I'm married to Art. We have three sons, and we have been married for 14 years. We met in college, actually. And I have served alongside of him since 2008 in full-time ministry. He's been a pastor down at Family Church in South Florida, and now he's in leadership at Southeastern. Lots of similarities. Three boys. Um, yes. <laughs> and three. even uh, marriages and stuff, we're kind of right. We're a little bit ahead of you celebrating 15 years um, next month, and so excited about that. Tell us a little bit about just kind of early um, steps in ministry. Is that something that you thought that you were going to be a part of, or kind of tell us a little bit about that? No, when I uh, first met Art, he wanted to go into financial planning, and I was actually set to, I originally was a an undergrad, I was a part of the pre-med program, I wanted to go into psychiatry, and uh, so no, we did not have any plans when we met to go into ministry, as far as working full-time in ministry, and then we actually moved down to South Florida, so I could get my doctorate in clinical psychology, and it was in South Florida that that my husband felt the call to ministry and he entered into ministry when we lived in Florida. I think that's so interesting because I think a lot of people have that story to where um, you get married, you're kind of on your different career paths and stuff, and then it seems to diverge, but it's not really a divergence, you know, that God um, completely plans it. And I just, I've loved to see you guys minister together and even more so just another woman who um, not only has the education, but that God is using just in big ways and needed ways right now. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about um, not only just your education, but just kind of what led to you wanting to be um, just in the mental health, like psychology, all of those things, what kind of led you to where you are today? Yeah, so my sister was actually, I have an older sister, and she was the one who was interested in psychology even when I was a young child. Um, And then my sister, when I was 10, she suffered from an eating disorder. So I think that that piqued my interest even more in the field. 
And so I ended up going, um, I knew from a young age um, that I wanted to go into that field. And so I ended up going and getting a major in psychology and then went on to get my master's and my doctorate in clinical psychology. And from there, I really specialized in children. And I also had some research and experience with eating disorders. I worked in community mental health. I worked in residential treatment and I ended up in a group practice. Some of the specialties there were really children and and sexual trauma. And then I felt the call to do more full-time ministry. There were some things in the psychology field I just didn't feel comfortable practicing. And so I left practice in 2018 to do more full-time ministry. And so I now serve in the leadership team at our church in women's discipleship, while also still educating and consulting with people in our church and in ministry um, who contact me about mental health issues or mental health issues in their children. And this makes me just so excited. I can't wait to learn from you today um, because I know specifically just within our women's ministry, within friends that are um, in ministry with us, that kind of thing. Like it has just been such a hard season. Even before we started recording, we were talking about how we do not want to be the leaders, the governors, the, the principals, the superintendents, the pastors that are having to make so many of these decisions that ultimately nobody is happy with. You know, you've always got that group. And And so why don't you tell me just kind of from your perspective and your experience, just what you have seen in leadership and how this has affected so many of us, you know, we can talk about burnout, fatigue, depression, just what are some of the things that you're seeing right now? In leadership right now, I think we're seeing more and more people underneath of us struggling with mental health issues. Right now, just during the pandemic, there has been an increase not only in depression and anxiety, but also in substance use rates and suicidal ideation. And so these are people in our churches and these are people on our teams. And so if we're not trained to work with that, that can cause emotional burnout on the part of the leader as well. And so I think what we need to focus on, you know, as a leader is how do we go about these conversations? How do we love these people well while also taking care of ourselves so that we're not falling into um, an anxiety and depression and, and symptoms of other mental health issues? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen that. Um, I think we've even kind of experienced it to where we just end up having these hard days or hard weeks and just kind of feeling like, is this going to end? Like we can't just pull up our bootstraps and give us like a nice encouraging word, you know, like this is heavy stuff that we're dealing with. And so I know we talked a little bit about just a holistic approach to mental health that God made us not only as physical beings, but spiritually um, and even just physically what, how anxiety, depression kind of comes along. And so let's talk a little bit about what does that look like? Like this holistic approach and maybe some of the steps in how do we deal with this? Like, how do we make sure that we are taking steps or rhythms to really be healthy, not only physically, mentally, and spiritually? Yeah, so when we when we think about our own mental health, I think there's the first step is we, if we are struggling, we have to admit that we're struggling. And number two is we have to acknowledge that we can't solve the problem on our own. And the reason this is number one and number two in caring for your own mental, physical, and spiritual health is those are the the two reasons, the, the first two reasons why people don't seek out mental health treatment. Those are actually the barriers. They're not physical barriers um, that a lot of people think as far as access to getting help. 
And so when we're struggling as a leader or we're overseeing people that are struggling with mental health issues, we have to first acknowledge that we have a problem and then we have to acknowledge that we can't solve it on our own. And I think as a leader, that can be hard because we there's the stigma of mental health and not wanting to share our struggles or worried what people might think. And so we need people that we are held accountable to as a leader. We need people who are going to be willing to speak into our lives when they see us struggling. So those are really the first two steps. And when you're having a a struggling with, you know, symptoms of anxiety, depression, or other mental health issues. And it's just some practical steps along the way that we can take is one is I really encourage people to limit their viewing of news and social media. Mm, Yeah. When we have a, we have confirmation biases. So we're going to seek out the information that we already believe. So if we are struggling with anxiety and we are struggling with oppression, we're going to seek out resources that that further promote those thoughts in our head. And then social media causes us to stop and compare ourselves. And comparison is a very ugly game because we very rarely compare ourselves and feel good. We compare ourselves and either feel bad about ourselves or we compare ourselves and we feel very prideful. And so I would really encourage people to limit the amount of news and the amount of social media that they are intaking on a daily basis. Some of the other things is, you know, God did not create us to live as silos and he didn't create us limitless. And so he created us with limitations for our good. And so when we try to take on too much, we're going to have more burnout rates. So it's a good thing for us to say no at times. And sometimes that no is to good things. So we have to start cutting in out things and creating more margin in our daily lives. God created us for rest and he created us to rely on him. And if we're not allowing that, we are going to be uh, a higher risk for struggling with mental health issues. Mm, Yeah, that is so good. Oh my goodness. Okay. So hold on. Let me, let me go back because I think even as you're talking, I'm like, all right, we're taking notes. And I think the first thing that you really kind of pulled out is just that isolation piece. Um, and I know even specifically just as a woman in leadership, as a pastor's wife, like one of the biggest lies that I think Satan feeds me is nobody gets it or nobody's a safe place or, um, you know, they're not going to understand those kind of things. And so I love how you bring out just that truth of like, you've got to be able to come to a place to where you can say to someone like, I'm not okay. And I'm wondering, like, have you seen, especially as y'all have led um, just in ministry, both lay people and um, those on staff, that kind of thing. I mean, how has that isolation piece really um, been almost the downfall or like just the, the furthering in of the darkness, I guess? I don't really know how to say it, but just how have you seen that isolation piece really kind of fall out among leadership? So I think the isolation piece is hard for everybody. Um, I think leaders are a little bit more isolated emotionally to begin with, which puts us at more risk for leading during a pandemic. Because if we're already naturally prone to isolation, we feel like we can't talk to people, we're afraid of what people might think, or we feel like nobody else understands we are going into a time where isolation will increase. And so that's our starting point. So I I think it's important if you are in leadership to have leadership accountability, to put those things in place before you even start struggling. Unfortunately, people wait too long to seek help to where they are struggling 
so much that they are now, you know, have a diagnosable condition or they're contemplating suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important with the isolation piece to, to go ahead and put parameters in place. Ask some people you're on staff with, ask people on your team to speak into your life. Give them that permission to speak into your life if, if they see you struggling. So that's one way to limit that isolation. I also think it's important, you know, just as Jesus walked with the disciples and even had closer disciples to him, that we have those close friends that we do feel we can trust and speak honestly with. Mm-hmm. And that can speak into our lives. And I know as a pastor's wife, that can be difficult at times because maybe you have been burned before in those situations. But seek out family members, seek out women who you can trust from your past, but maybe they don't live in close proximity or they don't attend your church. It is so crucial, though. God did not call us to live in isolation. And when we are in a pandemic that naturally isolates us, we have to get creative with how we are interacting with people. And we have to be more intentional and more purposeful in doing that. I think that is such good encouragement. And it's so simple um, on paper, but I think <laughs> yes. actually doing it, you know, and yes. actually because there's vulner- vulnerability with that, you know, to be able to allow those that are working for you or those that, you know, are walking alongside you to say, hey, I need you to speak truth into this. And I need you to know that you have the ability and um, even the welcoming of, hey, these are some unhealthy things that you're doing, you know, and and so it's, it's a vulnerable place to be, especially for leaderships. But I think we have to get to that place to where we have those people, whether they're close by, they're on staff, whether they're a state away, um, we've got to have those resources. And another thing that you mentioned that I just kept thinking um, all the way back to college and the boundaries book (laughs) and this limit of um, having boundaries and just knowing that like we can't do everything. We can't fix all of the problems, right? So can you maybe talk a little bit about kind of what you were hinting at just with um, having healthy boundaries with people and even those healthy rhythms for our own self so that whenever people are coming and there's just so much brokenness, so much heaviness, that it doesn't completely take us over. Yes, yeah, so I think boundaries and limits are a little bit different. So the limitations that I believe God created with us, He did not create us to work 24-7. And right now, so many of us are in the position of working leading, remote learning our three children. <laughs> um, yeah. We are doing all of the things, and, and God did not create us to be at max capacity all the time. He created us with limitations because we are not like Him, and we are not sovereign. We are not all-powerful, all-knowing. We need rest, and so when we are operating out of the bounds in which He's created us to be in out of His loving goodness, we are going to feel tired. We are going to feel exhausted. Our mental, our spiritual, and our physical bodies were not created to operate at max capacity all the time. So stepping back with those limitations and saying, what can I cut out? It might be that I need to cut out kids' sports for this semester, or it might be that I need to maybe work um while my children are working instead of trying to work with them and then work after them. And we need to cut out something in order to operate in the way that God has created us to operate in a time where we have time for rest, where we have time to downtime, where we have time to spend in his word. Without those things, we are setting ourselves up 
for further mental health issues. And then with regards to the boundaries, those are emotional boundaries that we have to put in place. So if you're overseeing somebody with a mental health issue, it is not in their best interest or your best interest to leave that open 24-7. There has to be a time and place where you say, this is out of my field, this is out of my competency, and I need to refer you to a counselor. If we are trying to help all the women and all the problems all the time, we do not have good emotional boundaries and we will end up getting burnt out. That's good. That's good. Okay. So that kind of takes me to our next question with so many of us in our different leadership roles, um, just the different relationships and stuff that we have. I think even you giving us just some Uh, markers or unhealthy behaviors, just things to look for as we're leading women. Like what are some indicators, maybe not even only for them, of people that we're counseling and leading, but even for us that are kind of some markers that let us know, you know what, like, I think it would be good for you to get into some counseling. What should somebody look for in those steps? Yeah, there's going to be a few different markers. We're going to have physical markers, emotional markers, spiritual markers, and behavioral markers. So I'll go through some of those that indicate that you are struggling and need to seek some help. So behaviorally, if you're having changes in sleep patterns, whether you're sleeping more or sleeping less, or you don't feel well rested, if you're ruminating or obsessing over work or your job or relationships, or if your appetite's changed, if you're gaining weight, losing weight because you're not eating enough or you're eating too much, those are some behavioral indications that something is going on. Physically, if you start getting headaches, if you feel tired a lot, if you're having GI problems or chest pain, these can be a result of stress in your life or anxiety and depression. Those are called somatic symptoms, and those would be indications that you might also need to start looking into some mental health treatment or seeking out a biblical counselor. Emotionally, are we feeling more irritable, nervous? Are we starting to cry or just lashing out at people, feeling angry, just keyed up and on edge? Or do we have anhedonia, which is just a loss of pleasure in things that we usually take pleasure in, loss of pleasure in activities? And then spiritually, are we feeling disconnected, a lack of desire to connect with the Lord or with others, not making time for church and um, the body of Christ? And are we blaming other people? Are we blaming the Lord for the problems that we're having? And then I think the last thing is, are other people noticing, are people saying things to you that you just don't seem like yourself? Um, And is your current functioning impacting your relationships? So those are really all warning signs that, that you might need to take a step back or have other people speak into your life. I think those are all super practical and really helpful. Um, even I love how you went through just the different categories, you know, and, and it goes back to kind of what we were talking about before, just that holistic approach that God has made us um, multifaceted beings. And so he's giving us these indicators for our good, right? Um, and I think so often we can um, shrug off just sleepless nights or um, irritability, you know, those kind of things. And those are indicators that God has given us to say, hold on slow down and let's figure out like, where is that coming from? And kind of being able to prod a little bit more um, deeper into what is going on internally with us. So I'm kind of curious as you were going through some of those markers and indicators, um, what does that next step look like? So, and I almost kind of want you to speak into um, what you mentioned before, just with this idea of what mental health looks like, of not taking that step? Are there any things that you can maybe share that 
would take away some of that fear or that unknown, um, just mentality that kind of goes with it. Like, can you maybe kind of pull back the mask of it and say, I know these, this is what you're thinking. Um, but this is for your good. Um, does that maybe bring up anything? I know that's kind of throwing you on the spot with regards to seeking help. Right. So I think there's, there's a stigma around mental health and for, for many, many reasons, actually, um, one is just the language in our culture that people use regarding mental health. They use they use terms like crazy and psycho, and those are terms that are very unhelpful and not applicable, actually. But because people use them, there is there is a stigma that if you seek mental health treatment, there's got to be something wrong with you, and that is just not the case. I also think there's a lack of education about what mental health treatment looks like. I know when I tell people that I'm a psychologist. One of their first responses are, is, are you psychoanalyzing me? (laughs) And I I just chuckle because, no, I'm not. (laughs) Secretly, I might be. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Um, But, you know, with, with psychology, really where it's gone is more into the brain science and what does evidence-based research look like. Where psychology falls short is it's not couched in the gospel and it's more self-help. But when we can take what, what brain science teaches us and also what biblical counseling teaches us and mesh it together, we would have a better understanding of mental health treatment. And that's looking at the person from a biopsychosocial spiritual model, that you are not 100% biology and you are not just 100% spiritual, that God created us as very complex individuals. And so you might actually have anxiety because you have a physical problem, or you might have anxiety because it's spiritual. But when we can educate people on what mental health treatment looks like, that it's not that you're crazy or psycho or you're sinning and just doing something wrong all the time, I think we tear down that barrier there. And I think more people are willing to go when they understand that, hey, this is a very complex problem. It's rooted in my biology. It's rooted in spirituality. It's rooted in what I was taught as a child. And it's rooted in my thoughts and feelings. It's all of the above. There are definitely women I have treated and worked with and children where it has been 100% biological. And there's other women and families I've worked with where it's more spiritual but usually it's a combination of all of it. And I think it's important for women to hear that, especially in the church. I think so often women are just told, well, if you prayed more, if you knew Jesus better, if you read your Bible, and honestly, all of those things are just another form of self-help. It's what can you do to get rid of the problem? What can you do to be a better Christian to get rid of your mental health problem? And that is the wrong message to send to people. I really appreciate just everything you said. I was counseling actually one of my leadership team members that's on my women's team last night and we were sitting and visiting and she said something very similar. She was like, you know, I've just been praying and praying and God will not take it away. And so I know I'm failing. And so I, I appreciate you being able to take that off the table that sometimes there's just these deep rooted things and it has nothing to do with our walk with the Lord, you know, like, and he's not mad at us. And I think the church just hasn't really stewarded this conversation really well, which just, again, makes me really thankful that you're here kind of taking off some of those misnomers or those lies that we have um, either picked up or, you know, they've just kind of been traced down. And I just, I love the 
authenticity and just the invitation of healing and that God is in the midst of all of it. So um, I just, I really thank you for that. I think, and I hope if you're listening today that that really helps um, lighten the load a bit um, and lightens even just your hope and being able to step forward in healing. So um, okay. So you kind of love, and one of your specialties I think is leading children and, um, and just loving them and processing through all of the big emotions and things that are happening. Um, and so I want to make sure that we kind of tackle this next question. Um, so, so many of us are leading in churches or organizations, the workplaces, but then many of us are leading in our homes and we've got children of our own, or maybe we're aunts or friends, that kind of thing. So what exactly are you seeing with kids right now and just mental health and how this pandemic is affecting them? And maybe then off of that, what are some things that you would encourage us to do just to help kind of steward their hearts well in this season? Because I know um, for myself, it's been a hard season, you know, and it's hard just to be able to navigate all of it. And then for all of my brokenness to then pour over into them (laughs) as they're trying to deal and handle. So talk to us a little bit about just stewarding our kids well, loving them well, and even walking through some of the things that they're struggling with as well. How do we do that? Yes. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, what was said was that kids were that were actually in healthy environments were faring off well or even better than their previous functioning, meaning that they were feeling more connected to their families, that they were less stressed because school was out, there was less bullying, and they were actually less busy and more able to engage in free play. So at the start of the pandemic, for kids living in a healthy environment, we actually saw an increase in some mental health. Where we didn't see an increase initially was kids who were in underprivileged situations who were already have mental health problems or who were in harmful home lives. So that was at the start of the pandemic. Now what we're seeing though, as the pandemic, as COVID keeps on going, we are seeing social isolation and what that's doing to children. And with the return to school is we are actually seeing increases in anxiety symptoms and depression symptoms. So these kids are going to start maybe ruminating over school. Often mental health issues in children come out through irritability, anger, and aggression, and temper tantrums. So if you've noticed a change in your child's behavior as far as acting out more or crying more, those are warning signs and red flags to you. So as we continue on in social isolation, It's important for parents to think of creative ways that you can connect your child with other children. So as you're talking about, ooh, yes, all of my kids, they're there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think think all of our kids are struggling a little bit because, again, God didn't create them for social isolation. So, so So while we've seen some really good things and things that I hope will carry on is, our children don't need to be in 10 sports one semester. Mm, so we can yes. reduce some things long-term. We also have to get creative in this pandemic. And so there are a few things I believe parents can do to help walk their children through that right now. And, and I can go through a list of things if that's helpful for you. Yeah. Do you mind sharing? 
Yes, yeah, so first and foremost, as parents, we have to model healthy behavior. So if we are talking about coronavirus a lot, if we are sharing our own worries and anxieties, our children are taking in those messages, our verbal and nonverbal cues, but their brain is not fully developed and they cannot process that in the way that we can. So they are more likely to develop anxiety symptoms because they can't think through long-term consequences, but like the young kids, the way that as adults we can. So we have to model how to handle the pandemic well first. The other thing is kids, the news is not made for children. And so if you have children around, please do not watch the news. Don't give them access to social media. Those are adult conversations and adult messages meant for adult brains. And kids cannot process some of those things, especially younger children. We should be having open conversations with our kids. And what I mean by that is we need to talk a lot less and listen a lot more. But we need to be intentional about those conversations and checking in with our children. How are you feeling about coronavirus? I've recognized that you haven't been able to see your friends as much. What is that like for you? And letting them speak into it. You also need to provide age-appropriate age appropriate facts. So what do they need to know at age 5? And what do they need to know at age 15 about coronavirus? And that's going to be different per kid and per age. Mm-hmm. So making sure that you're giving them data they can process. Flexible routine. Kids do better on routine when they can predict what's going to happen. So knowing that breakfast, lunch, and dinner are around the same time, knowing they have school a certain time to start, a certain time to stop, and then playtime in the afternoon. And then creative ways for them to socially interact and giving them down play, and downtime for free play, I think, are very important. So whether that's um, playing outside with a neighbor that you feel comfortable with or whether that's you know FaceTiming a friend or writing letters to friends and receiving them back, as parents, it's our job, not our kids, to get them to socially interact in some sort of way during this pandemic. Mm, that's so good and so helpful. Even this week, so my kiddos started school last week, and they came home with so many different things to say about the coronavirus. And honestly, we hadn't even really been talking about it because <laughs> we were tired of it. Um, and so they came back, and you could tell it was things that they picked up from the teacher or from other kids that parents had been saying, you know, and those kind of things. And so I love just your encouragement and your challenge to kind of be that first voice for them, you know, and as they're hearing other things, I think, like you said, asking questions and saying, so what are your friends saying about it? You know, like, how do you feel about it? And all of those kind of things so that you're really guiding that conversation and not allowing others to, um, and even being the safe place for them to be able to say if they're not doing well, if things are hard for them, those kind of things. And so I think those are all really good, just practical things and a good reminder for us that just like we talked about with us as leaders in needing to find people and have safe places, that's the same exact thing that our kids need around them. And so having that playtime, having that, they're not having to worry about, um, you know, masks and those kind of things and just time to be a kid. And I think that's something that I just keep trying to remind myself in the midst of all of the swarming and crazy is that I want them to still have that ability to just have fun and be a kid and make masks even fun, right? Like all of the different designs and things like, I mean, there are different ways that you can approach um, what is different and what is maybe a little bit hard, but also bringing some joy in the midst of it. I don't know. What do you think? Yes, I agree to all that. And I, you know, I want to add that this is not coronavirus does not take God by surprise and he is sovereign and he is in control of all of it. And he's using it for not just our good, but our kids good. So how can we take something like coronavirus 
and really use that as a discipleship tool to model and to teach our kids how to deal with tough times. Um, and part of that comes, Jackie, from what you're saying is they need to see the joy within us. They need to know that no matter what's going on, that we are their parent and we love them and we want them to have joy in life. And we can, we can take a tough time and we can color masks together or sew masks together, or we can just take the afternoon off of homeschooling and go on a trail together. So we need to model those healthy behaviors, exactly what you're saying for them. And that teaches them something about Christ and and the joy that we can have through Christ in a difficult situation. Yeah. And I think too, one of the things that you pointed on, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I know I heard so many moms and teachers and just, they loved all of the extra family time and all of the extra freedom um, because we weren't so regimented with our schedules and the extracurriculars and those kind of things. And just like you said, um, kids were really flourishing in that, you know, expectations and the drive of, of the to-dos and the calendar were really taken off. And I think there was this sweet moment with um, some families. And so um, I want to encourage us all, like, let's not lose that. And I think that's kind of the tendency, especially because it's drawing out so long that we're like, okay, I'm done with family time. This yes. Is, you know? <laughs> this has and been I enough get, family time. <laughs> I get it. I mean, there, was, there were definitely been days, even weeks of just like, I don't know that we're all going to make it anymore, you know? I mean, that's just the reality of it. But I think just that perspective of what have we learned in this season? What has been good that God, even in what you were talking about earlier, like that rest and that um, that solitude, that slowing down, I think that was a lesson, at least that I took out of this season. And so I don't want to lose that and just being really intentional in, in that and bringing that forward in our new non-normal rhythms. And so... I just, man, there's just been so much goodness and so much wisdom in our conversation. And I'm just so, so thankful for you. And I hate that we are running out of time. And so I'm going to Can we keep talking, please? (laughs) Can we just keep going? Because there's just, I have so many more questions. Um, But let me throw this last one at you. Um, Just with our listeners. And man, I mean, we've hit on so much. There, There could be some that are listening that are like, I need to take the next step for counseling. I need to slow down. Um, I haven't been doing well with my kids. You know, I mean, there's just so many things that I think could kind of be coming to the surface with our listeners right now. And so what would you say to them? What would just be your encouragement or even just a leadership nugget to keep going in this season? What would you say? So one of my favorite Bible verses, and I think it's applicable in all areas, really, is is John the Baptist's words of he must increase, but I must decrease. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes that in parenting what that looks like is that we have to get out of the way of what we think is right in parenting and kneel at the feet of the Lord and just admit we don't understand it or when our kid is struggling and we don't know what to do we have to lay that at the at the feet of the Lord and there is if your kid is struggling one of the best things or you're struggling one of the best things you can do for your child or for you and for your family and even for those you minister to is to actually seek help um, you cannot if you are struggling with anxiety and depression you're not going to be able to pull yourself out of that you are going to probably dig yourself deeper into hole if you're isolated and not seeking out help so it is really in the interest of your ministry your family and yourself to actually seek help and to lay that at the lord's feet and to remember that our pride or our desires or our own thoughts about mental health treatment, we have to lay that at the Lord's feet. And He must increase, but we have to decrease. 
That's so good. I actually read that in my devotional this morning. And so (laughs) uh, just yes, yes, yes. And I want to echo even from that and kind of add on that I actually have just completed a year of counseling and I love my counselor. I love everything that I have learned um, just from her and, and digging up the heart and the dark and allowing Jesus to shine light into those areas of my life. But what I have seen in this new season is our example helps other people take that step. And so um, the woman that I met with last night and several others even just recently are all taking those steps to counseling and to seek healing because of us championing mental health and getting healing and counseling and all of those pieces that Sarah has been sharing. And so I really want to encourage you, not only will it be good for you and your own soul, that it will be such a drink of water to others that maybe be on the fence as well and that they can say, hey, if she did it, I can do this. And so I, I cannot encourage you enough to seek healing, to take those rhythms of rest, to breathe in Jesus and slowness and steadiness, and then to watch God not only work in your life, but in the lives of those that you get to lead and love. And so... Sarah, man, what a great discussion. I am just, I'm very thankful for you. I know that there is going to be another episode because there's just so much (laughs) more we could talk about. So thank you for your time, for sharing your wisdom and your heart for Jesus and for people. Thank you so much for having me. And and Jackie, just thank you as you lead these women and your honest discussions of mental health and even just allowing people to see you in that you sought counseling that's a testimony right there and that will be an encouragement to others who are struggling and so just thank you for for today and just thank you for your ministry yes i hope that y'all will use this podcast i hope you share it with your your leadership teams with those that you're leading i mean everybody on the planet can benefit from this episode and so i hope you will use it not only to minister but also to help as a resource for you and as always i hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of At the Table. We are praying for you and we are cheering you on. Y'all have a great week. You have been listening to At the Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in kingdom mission. Thanks for listening.